The Ectoplasm Show is brought to you by North KC's Big Rip Brewing Company. Lighten up dark matter, have a craft beer. The Ectoplasm Show are founding members of the Podbelly Podcast Network. Go to podbelly.com where you too can pig out on podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Ectoplasm Show. This is Jason Koopsik and I put together a little uh, montage at the beginning so I no longer need to do my little opening spiel. I am actually at Big Rip with my guest, Daniel Moeller, and I'd like Daniel to describe himself, since um, I, I, I may have said a sensitive word, not to Daniel, but to some people out there uh, in a previous episode, and I'm just, how do you describe yourself? Well, human, first of human, all. Human, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, I guess I could just describe myself, well, first as an artist, author, father, and husband, but in terms of the shamanic realms and subject matter, I usually just refer to myself as a student of okay. the shamanic arts. Well, because you, you dive into a lot of different uh, avenues, go down a lot of different rabbit holes, and the shamanic side of it is just right. one side of it, correct? Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... I mean, I think ultimately, if you were to look at my website and kind of dive into my t- my material, I'd probably just label myself as a psychonaut. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very interesting term there. What does that mean to you? Like, what do you? What is a psychonaut? Well, really, just an explorer of the psyche of mind and consciousness. So that can really mean anything, whether it's using psychedelics or meditation or um, some kind of altered state or just a person who's just interested in those realms and, you know, through inquiry. Um, I think we kind of, a lot of people hear the term psychonaut and they just think, oh, that's just somebody that trips. Okay. But I don't think it necessarily has to be that way in its original definition. It's, it wasn't really meant to only be that either. So. Sure. Because there's lots of different ways to have experiences outside of a drug. Of course. Yeah. So. I mean, dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, as one, like I mentioned, meditation earlier, music, art. I mean, just the experience we're well, having drum beats here. can get you into a mode like sure. that. The music that that beat can can get you into a. It's not a hallucination. It's more meditation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so anything that just kind of, I would say, even this conversation, would be a psychonautic inquiry because you know, we are having an exchange with consciousness and trying to push the boundaries of the mundane outside of our normal conscious framework. So, um, you know, it can even be as simple as that for me. Because I think think what hinders a lot of people from kind of exploring and diving into these realms is because they think, oh, I have to, I have to be in some kind of drum circle around a campfire out in the woods, or I have to, um, you know, yeah, you know, drink ayahuasca in Peru, and that's just not so. <laughs> before met, we uh, yeah. before we delve into a little bit further, you did mention that you wanted. I did call you a shaman on the last episode, and you did want to clear that up with 
with the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So um, I definitely don't consider myself a shaman. I was trained in a specific, you could say, shamanic lineage. So some people could say, well, then aren't you a shaman? Our lineage, we consider ourselves and call ourselves Kiranderos. Um, so it's a, a lineage from the northern coastal Peru that's very uh, folk healing based with herbs and also psychedelic substances, but it's very focused on healing and, uh, you know, curing, working with individuals as clients to um, help them overcome bad luck or some sort of physical or emotional, spiritual ailment. And so it is a very shamanic lineage, so to speak. Um, and I, I don't say that in a sense because when people hear that word, they think, oh, it's some guy out in the bush. Okay. You know, yeah. at like campfire drums in some sort of tribal format. And that's not always necessarily so. The term shaman really just applies to a, a psychonautic endeavor where one gains information from the other realms and then brings it back to be of service to community in some way, shape, or form. Um, so that can be almost anything. I mean, that's a very broad term. That's actually, I take that definition from Dr. Roger Walsh, who's an anthropologist that specifies okay. in shamanic practices around the world. And I really like his definition because it kind of it opens it up. It sure, makes it yeah, way more broad. Um, and with the understanding that the term shaman, there's been a lot of controversy around the cultural appropriation use of that term. It does originally stem from a, speci the, uh, a specific culture in Siberia who was being observed, but the anth anthropologists that use that term to define their sort of witch doctor sort of figures didn't really even understand their language, and his, his term for it was kind of even bastardized. And it evolved okay. into the word shaman, and really it was just a word the anthropologists use you know, for decades and decades. And now, I mean, there are cultures all over the world, and I mean shamanic indigenous cultures who even just use that word because it's a good basic word just to describe what they do. Yeah, The Quechua in Peru use it all the time. There are, of course, um, individuals in Mongolia use it. So, I mean, it's all over the place. So. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I gave you the opportunity to clear <laughs> yeah, that up. Uh, thanks. Um, I, I want to get down the consciousness and, and, and a little bit more of the psychonautic stuff in a little bit, but I heard you talk about some paranormal experiences you had when you were younger on a different show. And I want to, because this is a paranormal show, I want to kind of dive into some of that first. Of course. And you correct me if I'm wrong. It kind of sounded like some of your first experiences in life were paranormal experiences, at least on this, you know, in this realm. Um, and you mentioned something about a witch, but I didn't hear you tell that story. I was wondering if you'd be willing to tell that story. Yeah, I outlined that story a little bit in my most recent book, The Shamanic Soul. But really, that's my first memory in life. Yeah. I, I, my very first memory is I woke up from a nap. I was around four years old, and I went into the living room. And my, I remember very clearly, my dad and my brother were playing old school Atari. Yeah. Sitting on the floor. My mom was on the couch folding laundry and we had this giant bay window that was kind of in the space between them like but behind and this was in the like the ozarks region yep that's correct? where i grew up yeah. i i actually grew up in mount vernon missouri so okay for any i did an investigation there, in mount vernon not too long ago there you actually, go. but yeah. any mountaineers out there shout out um but i uh i saw very clearly it really stuck out to me this witch-like figure i say witch because i don't know how else to describe her but very um 
you know, haggard looking woman in straw type hair whose eyes were just shooting into me completely, paralyzed me out of fear. And I tried to scream and I couldn't because it just was in the room or through a on window? the other side of the window looking okay. in and um, ran to my I finally when I got out of my paralysis, I ran to my mother to let her know. And of course, it was gone. And what was relevant about that is I started having experiences of of not only that witch like woman figure, whatever she it was but other figures that would keep popping up throughout my childhood and even all the way up into adulthood. And, of course, a lot of that was um, a very integral part of my shamanic training mm-hmm. like, because um, these were all sort of signposts to kind of uh, guide me and lead me to where I am today and how I was able to sort of begin harnessing my own power um, to be able to understand those realms and commune with those realms. So... As a child, I'm sure, you know, it's very terrifying and that sounds like something out of a horror movie or whatnot, mm-hmm. but, you know, where I'm at today, it's it's definitely something that just was really kind of this first seed of medicine of this interaction I began having with the other realms. And well, I'm sure, s- with the experience comes understanding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I think about as far as my paranormal investigations over the last 15 years, the things that kind of scared me in the beginning don't really spook me as much anymore so i completely understand what what you mean there was it um this which do you think it was do you feel personally that it was something physically the person physically there or was it do you think it it's something that followed you through life is it a, a guide of sorts that you didn't recognize as a guide then yeah, that part two of that, yeah, option two, yeah. Um, in a sense. Um, now that my guidance has evolved into actual personalities and figures, so I see it as. Um, have you ever heard in your paranormal investigations? Do you guys ever talk about the demonic realms or diamonds? A bit, about? a little bit. So Patrick Harper actually has the best book on the paranormal I have ever ever read, and I actually was given to it by my mentor in my shamanic training. Um, he's uh, from England. It's called Daimonic Reality. And the daimonic realms are that realm of soul that is sort of the bridge between this world and the spirit realm. And that daimonic essence kind of spills out into our realm to act as like at, as a medium point. Okay. All right? Um, and it... It interacts with us in just weird, fragmented, disparate ways. Whether it's, oh, I saw a UFO for like a second, and mm-hmm. then I try to take a picture, but I can't get a picture, right? Yeah. You know, because it's blurry. Same with like Sasquatch or anything else or ghosts. They're, it's really hard to tap down because those daimonic realms don't want to, they're not, well, they're not meant to be fully manifest into the mundane, sure. but they are a bridging point. So part of my training was, learning how to interact with those manifestations that came forth and having a relationship with them and learning how to use those as doorways into being able to like tap my consciousness into those other realms. Step one of that is, and this Patrick Harper talks about this in his book, but what I had to learn was these instances aren't literal. Okay. They're real, very real. And that's, that's the whole thing about, 
shamanic reality that you have to learn how to understand. It doesn't mean just because reality is an illusion that it's not really there, though, and that it's tangible, but there's a difference between thinking that it's literal, that that, that manifestation is physical and was an actual person there. Not, not really. Yeah. It's all part of my consciousness interacting with the daimonic realms. So, which explains why a lot of people will have occurrences where they don't, uh, uh, they see something and someone else may not see the same thing or whatever. Does that mean they're crazy? Maybe, but also possibly not. Because yeah. <laughs> this, this whole dynamic and schizophrenia and all of that can kind of bleed in together in many different ways. Excuse me, but um, it's a... Uh, it, it, it's an exercise of being able to recognize when those events are happening. Um, understand that those events may not be measurable. They may not be something that we can tangibly grab and hold on to, but they do act as pathways and doorways to extend your consciousness into the other realms of being. Sure. So it sounds like I haven't read this book. I don't, I mean, I have about a thousand books at home. I may have it. I just haven't gotten to it. But it sounds like a like a what in the field people call a parent a paranormal unified field theory kind of thing, where it kind of encompasses the whole aspect of what you experience, no matter what kind of like in the paranormal field and in pretty much every field. Everybody likes to break things down into sections, yeah. and, and you're only looking at this, and you kind of forget about that. And and I, honestly, over the last most of my life, um, I've kind of been that way it, it, in the sense that I've compl- I had com- up until like a couple of years ago, I had completely cut out like the psychic, shamanic, um, consciousness realm from my view of the paranormal like i always kind of put them all together i didn't you know they were different phenomenon but i didn't tie it back to something until till recently when i started looking into consciousness and the potential of where our consciousness comes from and that completely opened me up to the idea that we might just be interacting with different things with our consciousness in the same thing that is a lot like what our consciousness is. Yep. Um, so how do you view consciousness like that? Is that pretty close to that? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think consciousness is really less of a stagnant, oh, this is our brain and perception and its activity. But I see consciousness more of this constant verb that's moving in and out of reality that acts as those thoroughfares between the mundane realm and the daimonic realm. So is it like a like a projection in your mind? Like we're like our physicalness is a receiver, or do you think that physicalness is a, is real? Oh, I think physicalness is real. Yeah. Um, and I, I probably differ with a lot of people in the woo woo side of things. That yeah. you know the world. Well, that I come it's from. all woo woo. <laughs> it, it is, to but for me out there, you know, in any of the thing that I'm saying though, too, I don't discount the realms of science, nor sure. the ability to be able to measure and classify, it's very important. I do think that we are just at a, at a point um, in our, I, I mean, at, was it Isaac Asimov that said magic is just a for, higher form of technology than yeah. it was in the past? You know, so 
Um, I do believe that our technology just hasn't found a way to catch up with whatever phenomenon is happening around us um, at this time. I think um, consciousness is really that one constant that we can use to be able to interact with it, but certainly not to measure. Sure. Yeah, and I, I'm not trying to, as our, my listeners know, I don't try to quantify or explain anything. And I'm not trying to get you to boil down that you believe in X and right. it has to be X. Right. I just, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of how you picture, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. picture yeah. the phenomenon and how you experience it. Yeah. And so I can always talk about uh, from the lineage from which I was trained, you know, what their point of view is, mm -hmm. which they have myths and stories that even give their own very exacting you know, definitions and yeah. classifications to those things. You know, myth accomplishes that as well, right? If mm -hmm. you know anything with Joseph Campbell or any of that uh, area of academia. But um, for me personally, you know, you just now talked about um, you never want to be able to classify just something as X and stay there. That's where I've been at. And my mentor personally even told me that's really kind of where you want to be. A, a person who is working in those shamanic realms should never actually believe concretely in anything because it keeps you open and fluid to yeah. the numerous um, things that you're going to encounter in these realms. And um, as soon as also, as soon as you be, you have an exacting definition, I mean, think about uh, the church and no offense to anybody out there who's religious I imagine your audience isn't uber religious, but um, if you have a dogma in place and then you have a, a paradigm in mind for any sort of phenomenon and it always will just fit back into the box of that phenomenon, you're actually limiting your consciousness. You're not going to be able to experience, experience the full breadth of uh, information that's out there and new, new things that are available to you. You're, yeah. You're... And that's kind of where we've been. If you look back in history, you know, people didn't understand things up to a certain point, and it limited their framework and ability to evolve and to grow. Techno technologically speaking, um, you know, philosophically, so on and so forth. You look at the big booms that happened at the beginning of the, you know, 20th century um, with the Industrial Revolution, and I mean, how much have we expanded um, as a human species? Yeah. It, it's been amazing, and it's be, be, been because of a lot of these new breakthroughs of electricity and then motion pictures. Like, all these new ways of being able to experience reality has gotten us to this place where we have almost basic telepathy. Yeah. <laughs> really. I mean, with through phones and our ability to, uh, you know, talk with each other across the planet, it's insane. I was going to move the conversation to uh back to your childhood a little bit sure. but i you just picked up on something that i want to i want to talk about first do you feel personally that our our devices our materialism is stymieing our spiritualness do you think we've moved farther away from that do you think that i mean obviously you can get around that, but do you think that there's, do you think that there's a need to, to go back 
to before that. Uh, how do you feel about that overall? The the thought of our materialistic nature and all of our technology, and is there like a faction of people or whatever they are out there that might be trying to actively get people cut off from the spiritual realm? <laughs> oh, okay. So there there's a couple of different questions there. Um, so my hippie friends may all want to cancel me, yeah, <laughs> but um, I feel like technology is a very good thing um and of course like anything else can be used for ill sure. and you know even with, as a parent i struggle with that with my own children and you know they're of everything is neither good or, nor bad it's always about moderation and the way we use it do we use it for medicine or we do do we use it for disease disease like i mean that like disease in the mind, disease in the spirit. Um, one of the primary foundations of shamanic practices, um, the animistic framework that everything is, is consciousness, everything. That doesn't mean that the table before us here and the microphone in front of me and our phones and this incredible beer um, that I'm drinking <laughs> from right now is anthropomorphic yeah but it does mean that everything has some sort of purpose of existence and has an energetic matrix which allows you to be able to have relationship with it whether it's me just even leaning on the table but also that means from a shamanic perspective everything can be used for medicine because everything is based upon communion that's what it goes back to that definition of consciousness everything is about relationship and communion so am i going to just drink this beer and then drink more and drink more and get myself sick or am i going to take like the beautiful medicine that this beer is and have the intention to for it to be medicine for me i'm gonna have to clip that little audio clip for big rip (laughs) (laughs) you know i uh it's good beer um and the second part of that, so yeah, I, I am a little bit different than some of my other, you know, uh, uh, members of our wider, not only just the local community, but wider global community where everybody wants to just go back to this archaic tribal way of life. And it's like, come on, that doesn't, that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, the, and, and you have a romanticized version of what the tribal framework was. Steven Pinker, and there's a lot of people out there that don't like Steven Pinker, um, but um, he did have a really great book. I can't remember the name of it. It just came out in the last couple of years that shows through data how much better our world is. How much, you know, the, the fact that you and I are even be able to sit here and talk and have a conversation. Um, and in this brewery, there's no kind of segregated format where, you know, African-Americans have to sit in another sure, area yeah. and, you know, that we can talk really about anything we want and not go to jail or get beheaded. Yeah. You know, women have the right to vote. We are fairly free of, I mean, COVID hit us. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know what your age is. I think you're around, you know, close to my I age. just turned 40. Okay. I'm 44. That, uh, that was really old back in the day. Yeah. Not sure. many people made it that it, far. It, it was old back in the day. Um, the mortality rate of infants did skew that number a little bit, mm-hmm. as, as you probably know. But yep. no, I completely, I, ple- I completely yep. agree. There are a lot of aspects that it, throughout. I think we are personally 
my view, we are at the height of what we'll probably will ever be. I think we're starting to turn on a downturn personally. Mm -hmm. Um, So no Star Trek in your future. Well, I mean, that might (laughs) not for my future. I don't see that happening in my future unless they find a way to extend my life. And then I don't, I kind of gotten cynical on that a little bit because back in the day on this show, it was my co-host that he didn't want to live forever. He wanted to live to 75 and that's it. And I was kind of like, well, if I can extend my life, maybe I could, but, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that the human race is going to be obliterated unless, you know, we have a asteroid or or whatever. Um, then again, I think that uh, something might come in and protect us. Cause I think we're kind of a protected species personally. Um, but I think that, um, and this just comes from a book I'm reading uh, right now. I think we are on a big downturn as far as civilization goes. I don't think that it'll be the end of the world, but I think that a lot of things are about to change. But we don't have to get into that too yeah. much. I mean, but I do agree with you on the steps of progression of art. And it, I know it's different around the world for other people, but I, I think that... Um, we are much better off than we were yeah. 100 years ago Doesn't or Doesn't mean a we have to turn a blind eye because yeah. I agree with you in the sense that, yeah, we're, we're maxed out. I mean, we, we, we've tapped the resources of, of this planet. We're in a very strained place right now, and we're kind of experiencing that with, if you look at the global economy and, and, and the way resources are being treated across the planet, um, we need to be paying attention and we need to start figuring this out as a species, like what we're going to do, because I don't think survival is insured. No. Um, and you know, our relationship with the planet is very important to me and it's, it's absolutely vital for my spiritual purpose. And I, I believe for humanity's spiritual purpose, I think we have, we still have a way out, but it is going to, it's going to need to be very radical change. And I, I do think that probably shit's going to have to get worse mm-hmm. before it can get better. I'm not to say that it will. There's a lot of people in our, in the shamanic community that want to be very prophetic. They believe that a golden age is coming age of yeah. Aquarius, whatever you want to call it. That's been coming for a while now. <sighs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, whatever, be that as it, as it may, I, I think that's just, a flight of fancy of, of well-wishing and, and hoping for something better. Yeah. I'm a little bit more realistic and just knowing that, you know, really at the end of the day, we only have the power to take care of what we have in front of us and the relationships we have in front of us. And everybody needs to focus on that. Um, not that you don't want to try for, you know, vote and so in, give in, to organizations. Yeah. That's fine. But yeah. So in the, the, in the age of Aquarius stuff or the golden age stuff, the way that it's kind of, that I've seen it talked about in my life is it's almost predestination. It's almost like this is going to happen to you rather than you making it happen. Right. And do you think that things in our life are predetermined or do you think we make our own reality? I'm not. I'm not a predeterminist. I'm not. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not a. Because that's what that would be. Right. If we're going into another age yeah. and we don't have a choice, we it's have to cho- make chosen it. for us. We have to make it happen. Okay. And um, and plus, it's just an idea. That doesn't mean, um, you know, because I know some people in the 
global shamanic community that say, oh, we only have this one window where we all have to Okay, have this so yeah, it's not predetermined, but we have to, to do it at a certain time. But yeah, and for me, I'm just like, whatever. You know, it, this is, a, for me, it's escapism. It, it's okay, not yeah. about being a human here in this realm and just, and it also kind of separates those who are part of the squad versus everybody else. Sure. Um, and I'm just not down with that. And I never have been. And I've gotten flack for that even. Uh, that's, my that own mirrors in a lot of way a lot of religions, whereas you are the chosen one, right? right? And if you don't right. follow our dogma, you can't be a part of it. And if you look at the history of shamanic practice, um, you know, as much as we have and as, as much as we know back to the Neo-Paleolithic era, it, it, um, the shamanic practitioner was even that person that wasn't necessarily always even the priest it was usually the person that was kind of on the outskirts and they were more about service and being a part of of community rather than up high in this pyramid you know sort of Mm -hmm. thing and on a throne and like imparting and proselytizing to you know information to others for the most part would you say that they were available to the masses rather than being available to the the select few. They were. In fact, Mercia Iliad kind of talks about how in most shamanic cultures, you can't, it's really hard to say this is the way all Sure, no, I understand are, that. Right, yeah. so there's, mm-hmm. he's talking about like a basic context. Um, in, in the village mm-hmm. format, they would always be someone who lived directly on the outskirts of the village. Easily accessible, not too far off. Um, but they, so they kind of, they were on this border between the, the outer natural world, sure, you know, the yeah. other realms and the community realm. So they were, again, they, they were, were that daimonic bridge? bridge. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, that's kind of their role really. They weren't always directly in society. So usually people that lean towards, um, shamanic leanings were always, as I was as a child, kind of the nerd, so to speak. I mean, that the person who was always the odd one out. You, yeah. you never really, you didn't hate the way society was set up, but you just never really fit in completely. You never really found a way to be a part of that. But there was still some sort of interaction there. Well, not to cast too much dispersion on the Ozarks, because I'm a big outdoorsman, and I love <laughs> that t- terrain in that area. Yeah. But it's not very open to outside, like... Yeah. Yeah. When I when I grew up there, especially, it was um, there was there was very one very strict definition of what it is to to be a young man in a small town, um, and if you didn't fit that, I mean, you were you were not treated well. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, we don't have so, to go down that sure that path. You but. mentioned something earlier though about the um, uh, those that are those out there that are trying to prevent that's what i was just going to bring up because uh we i felt like we kind of covered the first half of that question with whether or not technology is kind of limiting us or but we didn't really get into are there people active people are there entities or things or people that are actively trying to stop the progression of shamanic practices or spiritual practices actually I i do believe this is kind of a subject of one of your books in a way mm-hmm. uh that's the red mass i mm-hmm. think yep um yeah well, i want to i'm curious to hear what you have to say sure. about that so yeah um i do believe that there are so i 
every with everything there's polarities there's dichotomies if if there are individuals out there trying to uh, promote propagate the evolution of humanity as i think you and i are and just that even doing what you're doing here mm -hmm. there are of course people that are actively trying to hinder that progression and i do think that it's in all levels of the corporate hierarchies all the way down to just Joe Schmo. Do you see it as an overarching um, dogma or is it for individual purposes of those people? Do you think there are a structure to it? I think that there are some people that try to create structure to it, but I think just like any other sort of religion, it just, you're causing your own destruction by doing okay. that, right? Um, so, but I do think there are people that tried to create organizations around it, Illuminati, Illuminati type organizations. I, yeah. I, I, uh, so very often in my training, when we would do ceremony and especially if we did very like heightened, large ceremonies, um, it wasn't unusual for a black helicopter to show up directly over our ceremonial site wow. and sit there observing us for a while. That, that wasn't an uncommon occurrence. And it also wasn't an un uncommon occurrence that we would have some weird light in the sky that would show up and move around and float over the space and fly away. So I want to hear more about that and, and the rest <laughs> of your explanation um, for the overall thought. I do want to get a refill on my beer, and I think this is a perfect spot for, to hold people over through a break. Sure. So let's get back to that in just a moment. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the Ectoplasm Show. We were just talking about black helicopters during ceremonies. How, how... I, we haven't even really got got into how you've gotten to where you are. Um, we, we, we've touched on it a little bit, but how long have you been practicing? Um, We've explained it, it some, but we haven't yeah, really talked about the timeline. In my specific lineage, about 12, 13, maybe 14 years. <laughs> okay. Like I've, I've lost track. Um, so... So have you experienced this kind of observation from an outside source since you started this? Or is this something that's rather new? Or No, it was uh, rather hit or miss, and it happened, it happened a lot in the early years. Um, so how, how I kind of got into this work is I was, um, I was ill physically, mentally, and emotionally, Western medicine wasn't it was helping but it wasn't providing a, a fuller picture it was treating the symptoms and not like getting at the core okay um because uh, ultimately shamanic work is really psycho spiritual and if i mean if you talk to any doctor if you're unhappy if you're not doing well your immune system is going to be compromised so that's sure. going to manifest in physical and that's what was going on with me um you know regular therapy and antidepressants weren't working. Um, so I started, did you exploring. have any, uh, we talked about the witch and did you make any connection to any of that before this point in your life? 
or were they just random things that happened and I, now you're connected? I them? knew that the, they were all part of this larger thread of, of supernatural phenomenon that I obviously, this is, this is where I should lean. Okay. You know, I should kind of lean into that, those realms, but you know, with the way, especially, I mean, I think things are way more open now than they were in the eighties and nineties. Um, you know, it was, it was, I was still kind of, cons- it was odd, considered odd to be into this sort of stuff and to even think that something like the UFO phenomenon or ghosts was real. Do you think that the interactions you had triggered you down this path or do you think you always kind of had the mindset to head down this path? I think I've always had the mindset. Because I, I, I can't think of if I had the experiences that led me to this or if I was interested in this before I was seven when I had my first experience. Right. I can't remember that, obviously. Well, I mean, I, I probably could if I did a regression or whatever. That was a UFO um, experience, right? It was, yeah. yeah my I, very thought, first, I remember like, you saying My first four experiences in the paranormal field were UFO experiences. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I had any ghostly mm-hmm. experiences. But I I can't remember if I, because I was, like a lot of people in this field, I was the kid checking out all the Bigfoot books and all the right. Nessie books. And I can't right. remember if that started before or after that point. See, I, I don't really know because my first literal memory is a supernatural memory um and whether it was just an overactive imagination of a four-year-old or not for me it's still what i what i learned in my training from my mentor was like that's still your reality and that has made that made you up to who you are it has set you on your path it's like it's a signpost along the way it's grounding point so yeah so i mean you know, I kind of stumbled into this because, I mean, we do have a thriving metaphysical community here in Kansas City. I was trying to look for. When did you move to Kansas City from from the Ozark area? Right after college. Okay. I needed to get out of, of the Ozarks, and I needed something different. How um, how frequent would you say you had some sort of experience as a, as a child that led you um, to looking in Bef- before you? really started going down the path of the shamanic side of it so i was lucky enough to have the metaphysical side of it yeah i was lucky enough to have a friend growing up where we had a lot of these experiences together and it was kind of just a common thing for us it was not unusual you know when we were hiking out in the ozarks to lay down in the field and at night and then see things in the sky that were highly unusual my first the seven-year-old ufo experience was in the ozarks yeah the ozarks is weird so i actually even met a curandero from peru at one point in time when i told him i was from the ozarks yeah he looked me straight in the eye and said that place is fucking weird yeah like there's some strange shit that goes on in the ozarks for sure devil's den in that area is crazy mm-hmm. for this kind of stuff like yeah it's all in the grounds full of crystals and yeah 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 i mean it's um highly potent for sure yeah um and maybe that had a lot to do with and i think that people outside of that area don't really understand that because like the appellation has this kind of 
view of a, a there's there's more acceptance of the metaphysical side of the Appalachian area, but I think that it's deeper in the Ozarks. Sure, and I, mean, and I think people outside of that area don't really understand what the Ozarks is when it comes to that kind of thing. Think of something like the Joplin Spooklight. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you probably oh, yeah. know of that, or maybe even covered. I've it gone, I've show. gone down and seen it, and had stoners tell me how cool it was. Well, so <laughs> I, I mean, I it's not too often that you go there. And literally, people just come out with their families, and they're yeah. setting out lawn chairs. That's exactly chairs. what happened. Yeah, and there. they're just, oh, it's a family gathering, and we're going to, like, you know, bring a picnic, and we're going to watch the spook light. That's a thing. I did and see it, it. And it manifests. Yeah. It's a real mm-hmm. thing that, that comes up I, every time I've ever gone there. Anybody who's ever doubted the supernatural, I've always taken them there, and they've come back mm-hmm. a believer of something. You know, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, nobody, I don't think, and again, for me... I don't, I don't want yeah. to classify to like try to understand sure. what it is. I only mentioned the stoner thing because of the experience that I had, and it's actually a <laughs> meme on the show because when we did go there, um, I had actually stopped smoking at that point. So I wasn't judging him for the stoner part of it, but it was like <laughs> Sherwin Sherman Williams don't have shit on this was the exact quote. And it's actually a meme on the show from back in the day when I told this story. But yeah, it was there was a community out there yeah. and it was a random night and we were just looking at the lights down yeah. the road. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So I mean that and that's just like one example out of many. I, I had these experiences and occurrences all the time. We even had a we even had um, two very specific areas that were out in the boonies where I grew up in, in Mount Vernon that were so rife with supernatural phenomenon that by the time I got to college, I was taking people down there and giving them tours wow. in a way. You know, yeah. I would like, you got to go see this. And we would drive down there and there would always be something that would happen. Um, and in some places, it was almost even like clockwork, almost like the phenomenon would just have this timer. You knew exactly kind of what was going to happen when um, some of it ghostly phenomenon, some of it just weird time. Like there was this one area that we used to walk. Uh, You would walk down this certain path and you would literally would just start hearing war cannons and start hearing individuals marching, you know, like it was a civil war battle. And this wasn't too far from Wilson's Creek. Yeah. uh, By the way. Um, and you would just be hearing this giant bat, like you're out in the middle of the woods and you're just hearing this giant battle going on around you. Um, well, because there were civil war, there are civil war battlefields out there. Oh, I've been to several of them. Tons. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm, I'm only looking at my phone, not because I, I'm, I'm I got some. I want to bring up that yeah, I'm, I Ectoplasm Show is and... actually no. <laughs> Ectoplasm Show is actually sponsoring an event, a Paracon in Joplin in October. Ooh, it's the nice. Haunting History Paracon, put on by David Glidden, a good friend of the show. October sixth through the eighth. I wanted or through the ninth. I wanted to look up the dates. Oh, nice. Um, that's the only reason I had my That'd phone in my hand. I wasn't ignoring what no, you were no, talking no. That'd about. That'd be something to attend, definitely. Um, Glidden's a good friend of mine. He's spoken at my event over the years, and that's actually how I met him. And he's putting on an event there that the Ectoplasm Show is sponsoring. So Ectoplasm Show will be there. So go to hhparacon.com. So let's get back into nice. the Ozarks and your progression. So then after you, you had several experiences down there, and then you moved here after college, and you said you were unwell for a long time. And... Do you, 
in your mind now, why do you think you had that experience of being unwell? Was there was that part of your path to get to where you are, yeah. or was it a random event that just changed your life, or was uh, was it connected to the witch? Is where I'm trying to get. Yeah. Is it all connected? So it actually wasn't a uh, supernatural thing that really got me to that point. Um, it, I, it was a a physical attack that happened to me. And I don't ever a physical remember. attack. Yeah, yeah, not supernatural. Uh, it, between me and another human being okay um that it was somebody that i trusted and it was um so it was an experience where my i felt my trust violated and i was physically battered pretty pretty bad to the point where i had to go to the hospital and then your health stuff and yeah just started it, it after just that dove um okay. it and it and it kind of coincided with um a custody battle i was going through at the time at the same time and just all the all these different things were just spiling together um and what it really kind of came down to whenever i finally got to a point where i just i saw it i i just reached out to every single person in this community you've got to know someone i don't want to go to some like just energy healer or fortune sure. teller there's got to be someone that has a legitimate connection with you know um a medicine man from a first nations like lakota something and i got connected with an individual who's in my book um and i think he's okay with you know his name was actually daniel as well which was interesting and only lived 20 minutes outside of uh, the Kansas City area. My middle name is Daniel. Here we go. It's just all <laughs> coming together. And um, I mean, those are these are like little synchronicities that you piece together as well. If anybody's a follower of Carl Young, that do kind of lead like to breadcrumbs to to following your path. So I'm um, ass I'm assuming that you sought out scientific medical help first. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I had a doctor who was working with me at antibiotics. My health had gotten to a point where my body was, my bot for about five years, at any given time, if you would have um, met me or interacted with me, my body would have been covered with at least five boils at a time. And I mean, large boils that were eating through my flesh that had bandages that were seeping blood, sometimes through my clothes. What was that doctor's medical explanation for that? Did not understand. He did yeah. not know. He was, you know, what, you know, he could he could parse it down to what the bacteria was, but he didn't understand why it was so prevalent and just kept coming back. Other than you need to maybe be on some antidepressants or see a therapist or something, because I don't know. So he saw, in his limited capacity, he saw it as something bigger than just the bacteria. Oh but, yeah, of yeah. course, uh, and I wouldn't even say that's limited. He has an expertise, right? He's not sure. He doesn't need to be. No, but, I understand but he was, that. Yeah, he was open enough because I give him a lot of credit. He was open enough to help me understand that, like, if you don't get mentally, spiritually, emotionally well, your physical body is not going to be able to maintain. Well, that's that's great. I mean, yeah, uh, it's you. Incredible. You would hope that any doctor would get to that point yeah. i have a brother-in-law who's going through medical school right now and uh um, maybe I, I doubt he's listening to this but maybe <laughs> maybe he should think about about that in his the practices best doctors that and i say this with my own father being a doctor my mother's a nurse i grew up in a medical family 
the best doctors always know and understand that their answer isn't always the only answer and that they, you know, there are other factors at play rather than just here's a symptom. This is the virus or bacteria that's contributing to that system, that symptom. Here's a pill. So, um, yeah, so I credit him very much and I do credit the medical industry because if I didn't have that, I still wouldn't be where I am. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that one second. I do want to ask a, a, a small pointed question. Yeah. As terrible as that experience was, are you appreciative for where you are now? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Because my previous self feels like a dream. It doesn't. Yeah. So, and th- when I was me in that state, there's no way I could have been sitting here talking with you, man. I, I would have literally been shitting my pants. I couldn't even shake hands with someone without having to run to the bathroom to vomit. Wow. Um, my, the, I could, reality was too much. And if you want to call it being empathic or whatever, it's just everything was such overload. I couldn't, I couldn't take everything in at once. Um, and so, uh, like where I'm at now, I can, I mean, I could, if, if you had 500 people come into this room and then want me to just teach something on the spot, I could do it without breaking a sweat. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I can sit and shake hands with you and we can have this conversation yeah. and I'm not having to run to the bathroom every two seconds. Um, do you th- would you say that that sort of experience, not, not, not this, the actual physical things that you went through, but people that are on the same path as you, do they normally go through something similar to that to change them? Yeah, it's normally, it's a, I don't know who, I can't remember who coined this term. I don't think it's an anthropological term, um, but it's it's called the wounded healer paradigm. Okay. Of yeah. um, more often than not, when one goes through a shamanic initiation, it is usually because the, the systems that are currently set up in your life completely collapse and break down and you have to rebuild new ones. You have to rebuild a whole new self. Um, tribal societies actually try to emulate this in such a way. So there are certain cultures where when a young man becomes of age, 13, 14, in, in those cases, uh, you are sometimes they will they will rush into your your room in the middle of the night or hut or wherever you live and they'll pull you out in the middle of the night and take you away from from the village and sometimes the mother they'll even stage it so the mother is like no my baby you know yeah. and like freaking out like you're being kidnapped and then they're usually pulled away they'll sometimes be pulled away and taken away and then have to go out and have an initiation in the wilderness for weeks on end. Uh, an emotional trauma. It's some type of trauma, a cutoff, something that cuts you yeah. off from what you were and break you down, break your ego systems down so that you have no choice but to rebuild and reformulate a new personality, a new sense of self, um, which is the whole and purpose you went, of initiation. You went through that, and I'm I just guessing, not guessing, but educated guess, mid-20s. Actually, it was around uh, there. It was late twenties, early thirties. By the time I really got to the point where I found, when I uh, I found that my mentor that was able to take all my trauma, take all my wounded bullshit, yeah. and help me 
help me try to transmute it into that. Why sense. do you think that it's? And these are just questions that are popping into my head, and I know yeah. they're, they're derail, not, not derailing uh, the the pop, flow. Pop. But um, why do you think that it's some people that go through that, and other people don't? And it, uh, it's kind of you, you talked yeah. about the tribal aspect, uh, and it's usually happening younger. But why uh, in those scenarios? But why why do you think do you think that there's a reason that you had that experience over me? I so you know, Greg. Um, Carwood on Higher Side Chats asked yeah. me a similar question. And he doesn't buy into it, so I don't know if you do or not. But for my space, I'm just lucky. I, we don't I, – I happen to just be in a set of circumstances that um, I was able to fall in line with, you know, a mentor and other scenarios that helped in that transformation. Yeah. We already talked a little bit about – predestination and but you don't subscribe to that i don't think because i don't think there's any difference between you and i yeah and i i I think we just are in a culture that doesn't we don't um there are many great things about our culture but we we don't have a system in place to help individuals transition from the childhood state to the adult state yeah to be able to give them a a series of rituals or processes that helps them mature we have um you know there are some aspects of our culture that might do that you know graduation ceremonies but i don't want not that you think this but i don't want to put it on the show that i think that in some way because you had this experience and i didn't that i'm missing out on it i believe that everybody has their own experience and difference i was just curious if you felt that there was a reason why some people go down this and some people don't um, uh, other than the fact that I just really wanted out. Yeah. I, I got to such a low point where, um, dark night of the soul type of scenario that I knew I had no other choice. But to Do you think that there's some people that go through this that later in life look back and wish that they didn't? Or do you think that it's always a positive no, um, I've had many points where I sometimes wish that I didn't. Yeah. Because it's not always easy. It's not But do you feel that way now? In this moment? I mean, individual things aside that you went through overall. But there were times that you happy. felt like I didn't, you know, I didn't, I'm, I wish this didn't happen to me. Overall, I'm very happy. Yeah. I, I have moments just like any other human when the shit hits the fan, um, that I, it, it's really hard for me. And then I, especially when I have moments where, because we live in such a culture that just because someone is spiritual, people begin to label them. And especially if you're in, if you're involved in the spiritual realms and you're a teacher of any kind, or you write books or whatever, people try to put you on some sort of box or level that you're really not. I'm not trying to do that. No, no, no. I know you're not. Um, But but I'm letting you know that that's, those are the times when I kind of wish I didn't go through anything. When someone tries to, when I interact with someone or a client, even like if I'm seeing someone who's coming to me for help and they start putting me on some sort of pedestal in that way, I'm just like, man, I want to give up like that because that's not the point. And then you get involved with someone who, who's stuck in a paradigm 
that's really like I can't be responsible for breaking them out of that either. Yeah. And then you create this really weird and awkward relationship. And and it's the same thing. I was talking to you about it on break too. If, you know, there are certain interviews that I've been in where people people automatically put me in this box in this category. Yeah. Of like, oh well, you should have some kind of guru fucking answer for everything, right? And you know, it was in. Well, you wrote they, a book about it. Sure, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that means something. Um, and then they get really disappointed in you as a as a if you don't have an answer, if you don't, oh. and that just um, that just makes me sometimes go like, man, should I? I <laughs> you know, was all of this like worth it? Sometimes too, yeah. and um, but overall, like for the most part, yes. Um, it because because all I got to do is think back to the person that I was. Ultimately, um, in fact, uh, while we were on break, a person had just sent me a message that had read my book, and they quoted a piece from my book that talked about um, how really what what this was about for me, and for and like part of the shamanic process is, um, well, shoot, maybe if I just find it real quick, that's fine. Yeah. Some of the worst suffering I have endured has been because I would not let go of a certain thought or ideal I held to be an absolute. What was the piece? So th- yeah. thank you, brother Matthew Kent, for sending that to me. That's um, a good quote. That's a but good quote. At, that's ultimately shamanic training broke me of that. And yeah. I was lucky to have a mentor that didn't want to be a guru, that didn't want me to be a disciple of any sort to him. And even towards the end of our training was like, for whatever authority I've been for you, cut it off. Cut yeah. that out. There is no authority and no absolutes in this world at all whatsoever. So is that, in the end, you are what you're, you shouldn't hold anybody at that level? No. Yeah, that's. It's absolute freedom. It's a, that's the whole goal is absolute freedom because yeah. that's where true power resides. If you ever are making a decision in your life or something happens to you and in your brain, what would Jesus do? Or what, what, what would whoever yeah. do? What would dad do? Whatever. Not that we don't love it, emulate those people and, and get inspiration, but really you... Every time to, I say, what would I do? I just get egotistical looks from people. There you go. <laughs> but that's what you should be saying yeah. is what... What would Jason do? Yeah. That's, you are it. There's nothing that stands between you and God ultimately, or the creative source or the universe. Sure, I get what you're whatever. saying. Whatever. Yeah. I don't like even putting a name to yeah. that. Uh, no, I understand but, that. But yeah. yeah, so there should be no priests. There should be no gurus, nothing. And so you were at this point in your late 20s, and your doctor was open to telling you to look elsewhere. How did you find the person that you found? And then what steps did you take after that? Um, I had to do some community hopping. So I did have to um, get involved in some aspects of the metaphysical community that I didn't necessarily think would be fruitful. But I, I, I knew that I needed to start networking and eventually maybe I would find someone. You know, whether it was yoga classes or meditation, whatever. I eventually, through a friend of a friend of a friend, someone told me, about this guy that lived on the outskirts and had his number and I called him up. And it just so happened that he, he was a world traveler 
um, and he was uh, connected to and actually um, a teacher of and inducted into um, two very specific Peruvian lineages, actually. One of them was called the Pachacuti Mesa tradition, um, and the other, which was founded by Don Oscar Miro Quesada, who's a Kirandero from Peru that um, actually lives here now in the States. And another, which uh, I outline in my book, um, very generally, it's called Northern Coastal Kirandismo, but we ascribe the term of Camasca Kirandismo to this particular lineage, um, whose, whose forefathers uh, were very um, intent on channeling the energy of creativity and of creation into the work, into the medicine. And that's the word for um, that kind of creation, creative energy is Camasca. Kamaska okay. um, Kirindismo, and Kirindismo is just curing practice, curing method, um, what have you. What's so cool about that, um, this lineage, is so they do use the hallucinogenic cactus of, of San Pedro as their primary sacrament, so we do... I, I did hear you mention that on Greg's yep. show, so we and do those I had not heard of that before, but I hadn't, like I mentioned before, I hadn't really gone down this path um yeah. i i want to ask you i guess right now is the uh i don't i'm not trying to cut off your flow of no, thought no, no. there but Probably. i have always been the type of person that yeah i have some beers and i and i but i feel very controlled in my consciousness mm-hmm. i'm actually if i had to say i was afraid of something i would be afraid of losing a little bit of that control Mm -hmm. Uh, and um i've done like i did some cheap acid when i was a kid and and, but that's about as far and you know i smoked pot here and there but that's about as far as i've gone down to altering my perception and and mind and most of the time in my adult years when i get drunk people don't know that i'm drunk because i'm very controlled Mm -hmm. and i'm afraid of losing that control but i want to lose i want to try that but is this something that i shouldn't do because i'm afraid of losing that control um my mentor told me it because i was afraid that it's something you should do because you're afraid of losing control okay because um it's that uh, aspect of, so that aspect of ego in our lives is very good, all right? So I'm not saying it's bad. There's no just ultimate bad or evil in this yeah. scenario. We need ego. We, like, you would not be able to get up out of bed and do what you need to do to even have this set up here to get this podcast up and going if you didn't yeah. have ego. Mm-hmm. It's so good for us. But sometimes it, it can restrict us from further possibilities and, and, you know, future evolution out of fear because that's the other aspect of, of ego. Um, and so, like Terrence McKenna says, the only real psychedelic experience is one that you should be afraid of. Yeah. One that you, like, if you should be going into it, like, shaken at the knees, knowing something big is about ready to go down. Something's is that, gonna is that what San Pedro does? Or it is it can. different? It can? So, um the me- like one of the more potent medicines that I've worked with in this lineage is ayahuasca. Um, and that's not the primary component of Northern coastal Kirindismo because that's more of the, the um, uh, mountainous uh, coastal region of Peru because ayahuasca is more centered in the Amazon jungle. Mm-hmm. 
but um, they they that so you know there is that, and it's very potent. It's it it um, you don't have the ability to like you're going to die with ayahuasca yeah. like who you are is well, there's, going there's to a die. lot of tourism around that now and there's a lot yeah. of um bad people taking advantage oh, of people of around that yeah now, and right? that's the big thing about you know i that the struggle i have in talking about this stuff is that um uh, people leveraging the medicine for their own purposes and exploiting it and it it's 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 a, it's actually a sense of internal conflict for me the San Pedro is a little bit different. Um, the reason why I love San Pedro and why I love that lineage. What's is, so? What's the? Is it? It's a cactus. It's a diff, but it's a different. Like it's completely different thing, or is it's it in very the same different. family, or as ayahuasca? Yeah. Oh, completely different. So, ayahuasca is not a cactus, right? No, it's not. I guess it's I, a vine. I'm, yeah, ayahuasca okay. is a so, vine. Yeah, and um, San Pedro so is a cactus that a actually. Cactus, though, yes, right? so it's actually in the same family as peyote. Okay. Um, but they're different, uh, you know, they're still different strains. Peyote is a button. San Pedro is a stalk that grows in, in the lower elevations of the Andy Mountains. Okay. And um, Does it only grow there? Out of curiosity? You can actually or? grow it in America. And actually, you can buy San Pedro cactuses from Walmart even. Yeah. Sometimes they'll have them. It's illegal. It's legal to own, but illegal to process. Okay. Um, as a as a hallucinogenic um, substance. Um, but why I love it is because, A, the ceremonies surrounding San Pedro are very controlled. Um, they So they set up very strong, strict boundaries. And two, um, I have, every time I've ever imbibed and communed with San Pedro, I still have this sense of identity that I can hold on to but it can very easily allow me to slip into those other realms without completely dying, right? Uh, my sense sure. of self being completely yeah. destroyed. Um, and so really what it does is just, it just fills me with a, a, a holistic, unified sense of life that I've, I never feel otherwise. So going back to when you first started reaching out to people and you found... Um, I used, I don't think you want to name the person or, or if you did, but you found this person at how, at what point did he just like here, take this or, or what was the process to get to the point where you started on that path? Well, this is where that whole like thing of fate, like you have to take this as a grain of salt, um, because is it fate? Is it not? But the first time I went to his lodge, um, cause I called him, I set up an appointment I went to his lodge, and um, he he immediately when I when I went to the door, greeted me like, "Brother, I've been waiting for you." So the, this person, this was this person's purpose in life, and this is what he does. Or is, and um, you you. It sounds like you were meant to be sent there. If That's, somebody wasn't meant to be sent there, would he turn them away? I have no idea. No. I've never inquired about it, but he definitely approached me in this sense, like he had been waiting for me specifically. And within that first session, so the way Kirindismo works is you have these altars called mesas that are flat claws on the ground, 
with a load of sacred artifacts, rocks, crystals, statues, whatever, and these staves that stuck up out of a sand trough at the head of the mesa, and that's that's our that's our toolkit we use. What's for, the in room environment? Are you just in a building? And, and it, so it, he it, had it, a the space doesn't matter. So or? space doesn't really matter. You just need a space dedicated for the work. Okay. But he had a very specific lodge. He had been trained in many different disciplines, including um, from a, a, a chief red earth and chief. Uh, uh, his name was Phil, but uh, his medicine name was Crazy Bull um, from, from the Lakota Nation um, as well. And so he had just regalia all through, you know, skulls, um, masks. Uh, I, I almost want to say dream catchers, but I don't think he had a dream catcher. But just stuff like that. Sure, Feathers, yeah. you know, all kinds of things. Where, you know, it was, it was a completely foreign environment. And now my lodge looks like this now, too. And so when I invite anybody into it that's is not used to Is this lodge in your house or do it, you yeah, have it outside Yeah, well, our whole it? basement um, is a furnished basement and it's dedicated to that okay. space and to that work. He actually had a separate building, um, an outbuilding that he had that was fr- pretty sizable. Um, and his altar was, you know, huge, his mesa. And... The first time I went in there and I experienced all this, he's got the incense going and he starts spraying me with water. So floor waters that you drink and then you shoot out and spit out on the person and this like floral spray. Um, I I knew, I did know, okay, I'm not ever walking away from this. I did have this huge overwhelming sense that I've been waiting for this and I'm never turning back. That it, this is going to be my path. And that first meeting, he said that um, he was supposed to train me. He felt like he was meant. So I don't know if he had a dream. I've never asked. I don't be, my, mainly because I yeah. don't. I don't want that. Of, oh, okay. This is how it works, right? Okay. So you you do feel that there is a little bit of predestination in your path. Uh, kind of. <laughs> I mean. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't you want just to. Just felt in the, in the moment. I just knew that this was it. But see, for me, I think it's just we have to find what. And this is ultimately what he told, taught me, and how I got from point A to point Z. From how I got a broken, destroyed person mm-hmm. who couldn't even carry a conversation to now being confident and loving my life, and I'm healthy. Is. I had to just find my soul's path. I just had to find what just filled me. Yeah. You know, what What really gets me going? If I'm not getting, uh, if I'm not leaping out of bed every morning, like knowing like, oh, this is like, this is what I get to do these things because this is the kind of shit that fills my soul. Mm-hmm. Then what am I doing? Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was multiple things, part of which is, I'm an artist. I've always grown up an artist, but I had denied my art in my sickness and in my unhealthiness. I was too insecure to even like jump into that. Um, one of the things he, that through the work with me of, of, you know, the different ceremonies that we had was breaking down my fears and breaking down my insecurities, getting into the root of why I was making the decisions I was making that were self-sabotaging myself and getting me to understand and realize and getting me the energy to just 
take those goddamn steps forward yeah. and just do what you want to do with your life that you that has always filled you with joy since you were a kid. Um, and then as I've done that, that's just, you know, my health just st- kept, you know, coming back the more I would just make those steps. Um, so did I answer your question? Well, you answered my immediate question. Okay. Let's get to, uh, because I, I do want to get back to it. Um, at what point did you feel that there, well, obviously a helicopter is hard to miss above you. <laughs> but how, well, at what point did you feel that there was outside factors or outside people looking on what, maybe not necessarily exactly what you were doing, but the process, like they were obviously looking at you guys. Pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty immediately because when I started working with him specifically, you know, he would have these ceremonies and he would have them, especially the ones that he would have outside. Inside the lodge, we didn't experience this phenomenon. But if we went outside and if we had, a, like, maybe a group of people and, uh, like, a fire going, like, in a Nipi ceremony sweat How lodge. do you think that, obviously, they were triggered by something metaphysical to know that you were doing this? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't put it past, and he and I have talked about this, I don't put it past that, you know, governments, corporations all have their own sort of metaphysical branch whether i've told this story on the show in the past and it's been a while and i'll tell real quick just for this this uh because this is in this vein my uncle has really been in the um um lucid dreaming world he lives out in california and i haven't seen him in a few years but he's grown up doing lucid dreaming and he's in those circles out there and he knew someone who was able to lucid dream and and astral project and and travel wherever he wanted to and he would tell a story about how one night he wanted to go to uc berkeley because there was a facility on the campus that was controlled by a government contract and he wanted Mm -hmm. to go in there and see what was going on Mm -hmm. and he in his dream he flew there across uh you know whatever expanse from where they were in california to uc berkeley and as his body in the dream approached the building a guy flew out of there put his hand up and said stop and it was the only time he couldn't ever proceed past where he was so he was physically stopped by seemingly controlled government facility in his dream where he's never experienced that before so to him that was they're doing that in there and they have more control over it than he did as an experienced person right yeah i'm not surprised um we had many conversations about that sort of thing there was even a time during my initial shamanic training where in my dream time because dream time is very important shamanic world astral projection all that what you're Mm -hmm. talking about is something that you're you're supposed to practice on and and get skilled at and there was a time when i was getting these i don't want to say dark forces but definitely heavy type of beings and forces that were coming into my dreams and trying to prevent me from moving forward and he would he would allude to the fact of like oh it's them like it's it's those so guys think, that are trying to be in control of it yeah. all, and they don't they don't want it to be an egalitarian sort of practice. But that, that person in this example that was stopping him mm-hmm. probably was heading down the wrong path, whether he realized it or not. Would it right. would that 
ultimately, I don't think, and I, I've, I'm guessing you feel the same way, that negative side of it, no matter what you're doing, is probably not going to lead you to where you want to go compared to the positive side? Um, or do you think that not, there's a... I mean, not like, necessarily. I don't... Is I, there good and evil, I guess, on that? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, you oh, don't have to have an exact in. answer, but yeah, I'm just Yeah, I don't curious. think I have an exact answer yeah. to that because... Um, is there paths there, there's, that go there's, negative, there, though? There's... Um, well, okay. He, here's Here's... The philosophy of my lineage, I'll give you that because I do lean on this a little bit. Okay. One of the there are there are different saints that we pray to and we invoke into our ceremonies because this lineage of, of from Peru, it's still based in the the indigenous tribal framework. But when the um, the Spanish came and invaded, they adopted the Catholic iconography to kind of layer on top. Mm-hmm. of the indigenous entities and, okay, and yeah. energies and powers to protect and shield them from persecution. All right. So when you go to a Masada, which is a ceremony uh, of the Kiranderos in my lineage, it can seem fairly Catholic in a way, but it's not, it's very much not. It's very much an indigenous shamanic practice. One of the saints that is our, one of the, primary ones we lean on is San Cipriano. And San Cipriano was a sorcerer in the black arts um, who was a master. I mean, he was the worst of the worst, the evil of the evil. And he fell in love with San Justina, who was a saint um, on the good side of things. Um, and and or he, he tried to woo her over and lure her to the dark side, and she, he couldn't do it because she was so pure. Um, in, in, in her resolve towards the light and benevolence. Eventually, he gave up his evil ways to become a saint himself so he could be with her. However that works. These are just legends, right? Yeah. Um, but he's revered in our tradition because he, he was um, such an amazing saint. He was able to also balance and conjure that dark side when needed. Right. Okay. So in our altars, we have a a very we have a dark side. You might want to call you could call negative side so called the Campo Ganadero as well as a positive. We ba- I, we balance the two. Yeah. So there isn't. It's relative, I guess. Is is what is, there isn't like an ultimate evil side or an ultimate. There positive are people who commit or, evil acts, and yeah, there well, are there course, are people there are people. I do believe that in various sectors because i don't think the whole government is bad i don't yeah um but there, i do believe that there there are shadow sectors in the government as well as uh, corporations that are evil and do conjure those negative energies and utilize them towards evil so i think that there's a framework in the universe of positive and negative like a battery okay and we tend to ascribe sure evil to these negative acts because they can more easily be attributed to that it can go out of balance right but it can do the same way on the positive side one of the one of the sicknesses that's relevant in curandismo that we actually cure and this is very apparent this is very um common in peru is um a sickness that comes from the higher realms from too much light. It's like you're too much, you're, you're, you're okay. leaning too much positively um, in that 
that higher realm framework and that you can probably see that in people that get so that are so embedded in their religious dogma that they're they're locked away to anything else okay it's another misalignment yeah. right mm-hmm. um so anyway yeah i you know um it, it's just so weird that when i started my shamanic training that all this sort of stuff started coming up um, I even met someone who kind of popped up who came to a ceremony and he and I established a relationship who claimed to be one of the Montauk children. Do you know about the okay, Montauk yeah, project? Mm-hmm. Blew my mind. And this, it, it was only after he and I got to know each other really well and I really established a trust in him. And it was, um, it was pretty mind-blowing. Um, yeah. And, you know, just kind of realizing and understanding that there is all this, like, weird nefarious shit that's going down it was a it was in the midst of this these beginning years of my shamanic training that i had this dream that was uh of i was in a hospital um and there was like a bombing that happened it was like a terrorist attack that were implemented by the by men in black basically so we all know about the men in black phenomenon and i was rescued by these individuals that were dressed in red suits mm-hmm. and they they were trying to recruit me to their cause and that energy in the vein of that dream was as relevant as the witch i saw in my window it it it, it was so ingrained in my dna um i i i tried to do some research i didn't really get anywhere at the time and then i just started writing and i wrote my first book which is red mass yeah you and i referred to that earlier um that is about these individuals that are dressed in red that are kind of like the antithesis to men in black men in black tried to suppress and they tried to make you forget they they there are very nefarious individuals that try to um control the situation these supernatural they're Best story, the best occurrence of reading about the men in black is in John Keel's Mothman Prophecies. Mm-hmm. That's very, Let's get into that in yeah. a moment. I need to pee. So I'm going to take another <laughs> break here. I'm going to run to pee because I, no I don't want to be antsy while we're talking about no this problem. stuff too. So I'm going to pause it here and maybe play something or maybe not. And we'll be back in a minute. People in red. All right. We are back. And I heard you mention on Greg's show about how you have heard from a few people that the men in red might be real, that they actually had encounters with the men in red. Yeah. And you initially had a dream where this came to you. Do you think that it was manifested from that, or do you think it was something before that you tapped into? How do you feel about it when you look at it? I think it was something that I I tapped into. I think that's part of... The way consciousness works is we, we just tap into these various currents and veins, and we may not be we may we may not have no awareness of that particular subject matter or paradigm. Yeah, we've um, covered the men in black ad nauseum on the show over the years. It's not ad nauseum because I still love the topic, and um, there's women in black and there's actually men in white, but I hadn't heard of the men in red. I hadn't either at all, and so that dream. Uh, you know, manifested into me just writing a novel about it. Again, this all was happening during my shamanic training. My mentor read it and alluded to the fact that 
you're you're in the current right now, man. Yeah. Like you're you're this is part of your training, whatever this is, you're in it. I had no idea what he meant at that time. A couple of years, you know, I wrote the book, I self-published it, whatever. I even just kind of forgot about it for a couple of years. And then I started interacting with some elders of my lineage in Peru and and they were telling me that there are these individuals that are dressed in red, like you talk about. Um, and there's even a book out there called Secret of the Andes, written by an individual who just calls himself Brother Philip. Yeah. And apparently he was this individual who um, was involved with these people that were dressed in red, called the Order of the Red Hand. So in that... So when most people think of men in black, it's because of their black suits. Right. But men in red, are they in a, a suit similar, or is it just that they're wearing red? Well, in my story, they're all wearing just red suits, okay. right? But in real life, from what I understand, they're dressed red. It may not be suits, but they're dressed red. Okay. And from my um, interactions with some of these elders who were talking about them, um, they even, they're like even out in vast wilderness areas that they've had these interactions with them. And um, I started, I, I, it, was, it was mentioned to me, if you want to know more about these kind of figures and how they manifest, look more into folklore. Okay. So I started like reading into folklore quite a bit. And there are occurrences of these, of, 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 of individuals dressed in red suits that you can see in like fairy folklore, mm-hmm. like from Ireland and across Europe. Um, even um, some cases in Africa that are very closely associated with the kind of fey fairy realms. Yeah. Um, and so it, this has all blown my mind. I mean, this was just like, I thought I just made this shit up. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think I manifested this phenomenon. I think I might have just been tapping into something okay. um, that is a phenomenon, but it's not as widespread because these figures are. I think very intent on and very skilled at being secretive and being very, they, they, they come out for a little bit and then they, they, they go away and they usually exist. It seems again, as an antithesis to the men in black phenomenon, they exist to help propagate supernatural experiences and keep them going rather than suppressing them. So in, in, in men in black culture and lore, they mostly interact with people, right, that have experiences. So they're physically, they may be doing something else that we don't even know too, but right. their stories and their interactions are with people that have had experiences. Do the do the men in red interact with the people that have experience, or are they just more outside of the realm fighting the men? In, not fighting, but that's... They interact like, with people from they, what so I know. So it's direct contact, yeah. but just maybe not as often yeah or yeah it doesn't as remembered it doesn't seem as prevalent for sure well the the maybe they're better at blocking the i don't know because the individuals that i've talked to it's a very prominent experience so after i shared some of this on higher side chats Mm -hmm. man jason i got 20 emails or more of people that are saying i've had an experience with a person in red too yeah and even some people that have like drawn the figures and sent them to me. So there are some in like that are in cloaks and hoods. Yeah. There are some that are dressed in suits, some in like flowery, 
like um, Quechua kind of like, uh, what am I trying to say? Ponchos okay. and shit, but yeah. all like definitely dressed in some kind of red garb. All of them seeming kind of like men in black, or at least, so I'm not well-versed in all the men in black literature. I'm going off of John Keel's sure. stuff. They have something off about them. They're mm-hmm. not human. Yeah. For sure. I mean, they, the, the, the popular things are they're wearing heavy makeup or they don't have eyebrows right. or they don't, yeah. or, you know, their skin, their clothes, their clothes don't fit and their skin doesn't fit. And the, the people in red that seem to manifest so far have some sort of supernatural ability, which is very close to my book and the, and the way that they interact. Um, so maybe it's because it's the positive side. It doesn't get the press that the negative <laughs> I, side I of Men in Black gets. I actually, one of the next projects I think I'm going to work on, I'm going to reach back out to some of these people, and I'm going to start doing some more heavy research. I think yeah. I'm going to write a book about, a nonfiction book, I mean, yeah. about this phenomenon and what it could be. But the problem is, it's just, you know, it's so sparse throughout, you know, sure. different other people's research and it, it's never been a subject of but that takes that one person to track all that down and put it together i mean that's how men in black study started as well right. it's just been out there longer so there's more people looking right. into it uh, doesn't mean that the men in red hasn't been out there as long but maybe it takes you putting it together for everybody to realize oh I had this experience with men in black but there was a guy in red there too and i just didn't think about it because there was this bad experience sure, with the men yeah. in black. Yeah, possibly. And I'll say for myself, I have never had an experience with a person in red or a person in black myself. Yeah. But you had a dream about it. Yeah. I, I can feel my mentor kicking me in the ass right now because yeah. he'd be like, that's just as real an experience. And and it is for me. And I mean, I'm even, I love the concept and I'm even, I'm working on a comic book series right now. Yeah, we haven't even touched that. Yeah. But I, I, I figured I, um, we're going to have to have some follow-up episodes in the next oh, few sure. months because there's other topics I want to get. Like, we haven't even really got into the core of what your practice and how that works. Is you, We've touched we on it, of day, course. Jason, but yeah, we got all day. Um, <laughs> but I'm bringing them yeah. into my even my current comic book series because I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. I mean, I really am solely intrigued but also i don't it's like everything else in my experience with the daimonic realms if you go at it with some kind of urgency to try to pin it down and find it it will skitter away from you yeah um and so and i didn't i didn't realize this really i mean when i first started the training so this this guy was very open to bringing me in he's like we're meant to train together blah 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 but then after that, he just kept pushing me away. Oh, yeah. For years. I was like, okay, when are we going to get started? When are we going to have ceremonies? We're gonna, and he just kept, nope, nope. And he kept putting me at an arm's length. And it wasn't because he was being mean, but he was trying to teach me something. He was trying to teach me that really this stuff manifests and comes about when you get to the point where you're not just trying to seek it with such, ur- such urgency that almost to the effect where you don't even care. And yeah. he kind of broke me down to where I got to the point where, you know what, I almost don't even give a shit if this guy is going to train me or not. And as soon as I got to that point, boom. Yeah. You know, and that I think that's another 
ego suppressor tactic to make sure that my ego isn't in this for any kind of glory or look people I can I'm a shaman or whatever yeah. you know it it's to break me down to the point where I could take it or leave it I yeah. you know whatever and I think that's kind of the way this this person in red phenomenon might work as well so I want to write a book about it, but also it's like, how do I approach it where I don't have this sense of urgency where I yeah. scare the phenomena away? Yeah. No, I, I completely understand that <laughs> because to a point, and it sounds like you've had this experience too, once you start seeking out this stuff, it starts finding you. But it's also like this whole field is once you think you have something figured out and you start looking, it's completely changes. It's yep. completely different. and it, it, It's like it, it wants you to know, but it doesn't want you to capitalize on that. Exactly. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. Right? Um, well, I, I'm going to start wrapping up this episode and I do want to have you back on in the future. I, I am curious. Um, so you're married and you have some kids. What do they, what did, how do they feel about your path in life in this? And I'm sure they're supportive or they wouldn't be, you, you wouldn't be your wife, but um, are they part of this journey? I mean, they have to be right. And how, do, how do they feel about it? Specifically your kids, because I have a, a, a college age daughter and she's kind of been in and out in the paranormal side of my life. And, um, but what's your experience with your family in this? My, I'm lucky enough to have a wife who's fully in this with me and yeah. even um, started training um, with me after. So I kind of met her in this work. Okay. Um, and we fell in love through that. And so um, we've had a lot of experiences together. And it it's very helpful because I know some people that have a spouse that is not interested in this stuff at all. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard. Yeah, um, my kids, it's like, I mean, come on. It's just like any kids, right? They don't, yeah. they, whatever their parents are doing, it's just like, oh, whatever I roll. So sure. I'm thinking, you know, Hey, we're going to like involve our kids in some ceremonies and stuff. And it's going to be cool. Cause I was raised in church. So they're going to love this. It's going to yeah. be like fires and people going through crazy shit. And, um, our kids treat all this stuff the same way I almost treated my parents taking me to church. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, whatever, you know, they were raising it. And I mean, they're open. Our, my kids are very, very attuned, but we've, we don't push anything on them either. Sure. It's like, um, our model is, um, you find your own path and we support it. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're Hindu, Christian, Muslim, if you're, you know, drinking psychedelics out in the woods, whatever, yeah. like we fully support it. Um, just as long as you're happy, that's the only thing we care about. Yeah. So that's the model we've always taken. And um, so they, they actually haven't participated a lot because we've given them that freedom. Um, so they only participate whenever they want to, and they will every once in a while come to a ceremony and they're there and kind of watching, but um we have no investment. That's the key, I think, is yeah. not trying to have an investment in your child following any certain path and just let them do whatever they're going to do. And yeah. at least I hope, right? Yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> I hope that's the right thing well, to with do. My, with my daughter, she's uh, going into her sophomore year in college. And I remember I started down this. Well, I mean, obviously, I started down this field long before her. But I really started 
diving into the investigation research side of it about the time she was really little. And, and I never really, one, you don't want to push, because I was more on the ghosts and scary stuff and right. perceived scary stuff, so I didn't want to push her growing up as being afraid of things. But it's, I've never really pushed that on her, and it's kind of like, oh, well, Dad does this ghost stuff. and um, But recently, just for my birthday this year, she bought me a journal and asked me to write down all my paranormal stories for her. Ooh, which cool. I felt was really cool. So that's an honor. Uh, she's starting to, and she asked me if she thought if I thought it was okay that she listens to the podcast because not that I didn't want her to listen to the podcast in the past, but you know when I started this, she was like twelve, so mm-hmm. we weren't, you know, we were cussing and had yep. bad language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get she's it. she's she's always known about what I do, and it, I remember in like first or second grade, maybe kindergarten, her and her friends were off looking for fairies on recess, and she told me about it. And it was kind of in the same thing because her friends knew that I looked for ghosts, but they were looking for fairies. And and, and I I never really felt that she had an overarching interest in it until now when she's asked me about this stuff. And not that I'm pushing that on her, but I feel... I'm curious, I was curious about how your kids treat that or look at that. Now, as far as, like, I was looking at it from the shamanic lineage side, but as far as supernatural phenomenon, you know, because of the way my wife and I live, it's always been kind of a normal thing. Mm -hmm. So when my kids were seeing stuff at night or experiencing something at night, we gave it the utmost attention and importance to the point where... um, if supernatural phenomenon does happen in our house, it's it they're not scared of it and it's kind of like a normal thing. And they they're just inquiring about it and they're just trying to like I said before, they're just trying to find a way to have a relationship with it where it doesn't bother them or get in their way mm-hmm. if something weird is going on in the house. Um and also they have been pretty receptive to listening to us about setting up specific boundaries to make sure you're you don't have any kind of weird negative energies coming your way and whatever phenomenon is happening happens in accordance with your will and your, your restrictions, your, you, you set the space. It's your house. It's your room. You know, don't let anything come in and try to overtake your space. It's gotta be within your safety net. Um, so they've been actually pretty open to a lot of that as well. It's been kind of cool. I mean, that sounds like a, a normal parent kid relationship with that added like that's just your life right Right. so it's not that that's any different overall of how you raise your children yeah yeah i mean they're you know we're pretty lucky with you know with ours they're um they all got pretty decent heads on their shoulders and um we haven't had any um weird experiences where they've rejected or didn't have you know completely outright didn't want to have anything to do with you know what i'm trying to say is you know we have we have like skulls altars and candles and mm-hmm. shit all over our house everywhere it's not like one of them came home and was like i'm an evangelical christian now and what you guys are doing is outright evil yeah. you know so we're pretty lucky in that regard because we even leave it open for that it's like that's your yeah. path that's your path so 
Yeah. All right. Well, um, we left a lot on the table, but I want to come back to those in other episodes. I, I want two. you to talk about where people can find you, the names of your books, and where they can buy them. Sure. Um, best place to find me is at danielmullerweb.com is my website. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as The Real Daniel Muller. Most of it is my art and writing stuff. Is there a fake Daniel Muller out there? <laughs> there is, actually, yeah? because I did have an Instagram account um, called Daniel Muller Web that actually got taken over somehow by a bot, and I've oh. not been able to get it back from Instagram mm-hmm. And um, a- as much as I've tried, so I had to create a new account. Yeah. Um, so that's why The Real Daniel Muller. Big social media doesn't care about individuals it's yeah (laughs) and it's a hard world to manage but um yeah yeah, so my book i just had a book out from llewellyn called the shamanic soul which kind of details some of my training experiences i wrote a book called shamanic kabbalah um, which deals with some of my experiences with um kabbalistic pathworking um and then i have some comics out well i have my book red mass which we mm-hmm. just talked about and then also um my comics psychonaut presents which are actually memoir comics about some of my most prevalent shamanic initiation ceremonies um with san pedro and also ayahuasca um and then right now i'm working on a fiction comic book called simon myth chronicles which deals a lot of like the kind of stuff that we're talking yeah. about shadow governments working magic yeah. Stuff like that. And so it's all of those ideas kind of coming manifest. And the, the people in red are going to be showing up in that book as well. So, um, yeah, I got a lot out there. That's probably the best place to buy them. But you can also find a lot of this stuff on, like, Amazon and stuff as well. Yeah. But if people want to just More go on the website and reach out to directly me, from you. I yeah. yeah, I mean, I appreciate when people will buy directly from me because I do have stock and I make a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, as far as, like, my book books, though, I mean, you do have to get those from Amazon or Llewellyn. Sure. But comics-wise, yeah, I get them from me. I'm solely independent when it comes to my comics. So, Well, thank you for floating down this stream of consciousness conversation we've had uh, yeah. on this. And I do want to delve into some of the points we hit on deeper in, in future episodes if you come back on. That would be fun. Yeah, I awesome. look forward to it. This is awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.